Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Leaders Series, uh, GCS Connect Leaders Series. Today we have Sahail Khan, he is the Director of Development and Engineering at uh, Huawei uh, Technologies, uh, based in uh, Munich and Bavaria. What I really enjoyed about speaking to Sahail was, it seems a very calm leader, you know, someone that deals with a lot of big projects, a lot of big global projects, um, and I feel really deals with them and goes through the, his process of dealing with them in a really understandable, really clear and a very calming way. So I hope you'll enjoy. I'm sure you will. Um, I felt a lot to lo- I learned a lot from Sahel. So without further ado, uh, here he goes. This is Sahel Khan. Sahel, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, David. I'm good. How about yourself? Oh, very well, thank you. Today, yes, yes, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's, it's a Tuesday where we're recording this, so you know, start of the week and all that. But um, yeah, but no, yeah, the, the the year is progressing quickly, and it's always great to kind of speak to another one of the leaders in our network. So, just to kind of introduce, we have Sahail Khan here. He works at Huawei Technologies, which is obviously a world famous, world beating company, and he's a director of de- development and engineering there. Um, within their kind of German locations based in Munich. Um, 15 years experience in the industry. Um, and uh, we're really, really happy to kind of have him on board. I know he's done quite a few podcasts and different public speaking engagements, but uh, so we're very lucky to have him. So welcome to Hale. Um, do you, you want to just quickly, before we start, just take us a little bit through your role, a little bit through your background, uh, just so the kind of listeners can get an idea of you know what you're about really? Sure, David. First of all, it's a big pleasure to be on your show. And I've seen some of your episodes and they were really interesting, especially focused on uh, the leadership aspects of it. Yeah. So it's it's an absolute pleasure to be uh, speaking to you here today. So at the moment, I work as the Director of Development and Engineering at Huawei's Consumer Business Group. And we are focused on building software solutions for our customers in multiple industries, starting with IoT to consumer devices, to healthcare, to robotics. So uh, yeah, at the moment I'm involved in quite a few verticals, Uh, really fortunate to be in these as these industries are growing quite a bit at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and it's, um... It's, it's, it's so interesting to be kind of developing software across industry. Um, yeah. Do you, um, when you, um, when, when you start to do that, do you, you know, when you move into a new industry, and we've spoken a little bit before this, that you've, you've worked in different types of industries. Um, do you have a kind of set of principles or a set of, of ways that you look at things as a leader that you think helps you to work within different industry now so if you went into the recruitment industry you you think about certain things that you that that you need to understand before you progress well uh as i I was really fortunate to have worked in multiple industries uh Mm. but the underlying principle is the same everywhere um always look for gaps when you start out in a new role or in a newer industry and the challenges are always around the processes and also around delivery uh, and improving the efficiency. So from a high level sure. perspective, uh, these are the three characteristics I always try to look out for uh, in any industry, whether it be automotive or IoT or uh, business software. 
as well. And do you use quite a lot of kind of business analysis or work with your business analysts or user, you know, UAT or user requirements just to really kind of understand? So I've always been a firm believer in uh, user-driven user development. Uh, so it oh. always comes from the user's requirements. The customer is the king. And uh, yeah, I've, I've always used uh, that, that as my foundational base uh, before I start building processes around it. And also, interestingly, I always try to keep the structure of my teams to work in an agile methodology. Okay, yeah. And have you worked, I mean, obviously 15 years in, I guess maybe you've always worked in an agile methodology or did... You know, did you have your has your yeah. career progressed along with Agile, or did you used to use Waterfall? It really other... has. You, you'd be surprised to hear yeah. uh, when I started out, uh, Agile was still a buzzword, uh, but it's caught on quite a bit now. So uh, back in the day when I started, it was all Waterfall. Uh, you'd always have mm -hmm. your requirements, and you just continued to build based on deadlines without really iterating your products. Uh, but this has changed quite a bit at the moment. And uh, I was lucky to learn a lot of things uh, along the way and also adapt uh, the different agile frameworks based on the needs of my customers or also based on the needs of uh, my teams or the organization itself. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. It's, 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 it's really interesting, isn't it? And, you know, as, as a agile within our world as a technology recruiter has become come so you know kind of all-encompassing now so many so many people have kind of moved forward and it's obviously you have to set yourself but what, what what do you find the kind of challenges are when maybe setting up a an agile environment or moving from a waterfall environment or or trying to get agile you know you know to the higher standard to kind of a grade a grade agile yeah well in my case it was by failing fast right uh, I've been yeah. on complex software projects since the early days of my career, and I'm a firm believer in what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, one of the beauties of mm. Agile is that it offers, it offers a chance for uh, the teams to have a retrospective before you start your next iteration, right? So retrospective always helps in identifying failures from the start and from the entire team's perspective. But sometimes this isn't enough. Uh, in the beginning, when you define your Agile blueprint uh, on how you would want your setup to look like, you really need to systematically and scientifically break down the structure, right? There are multiple methodologies and frameworks that you can reference to, from Scrum to Kanban to feature-driven development to Lean to Less to Safe. Uh, there are so many variants of Scrum at, in the market at the moment. Uh, but in my case, I never really followed textbook Agile, right? I rather use those frameworks as a reference and define my own, um, which suited the needs of the product or the projects I was on, or uh, also based on the kind of skill sets I had in my teams. Um, but the underlying yeah. foundation is always the same. You define your framework, you start with a high-level vision, you break down uh, into business processes, and from these business processes, you define your epics, and then these epics, you could derive your tasks and user stories. And it's, 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 it's very, it's a different way of kind of 
like leadership, isn't it? Because it's much more, I guess, high touch. I mean, as you said, we spoke very much on on leadership here. It's not like, let's review this every two months. It's like let's constantly review this. Yeah. You know, I guess that takes takes quite a lot of you know a certain mentality, you know, and a and certain level of rigor to you know, constantly be appraising things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely does. Uh, also, the biggest challenges I've faced um, in an agile environment was even before having an agile environment, you know, trying to change the mentality of the whole organization, yeah. trying to change the mentality of the people, trying to bring them on the same page. Uh, it, it requires quite a bit of effort. Right. And uh, Agile, it, it really it's built on principles of having transparency and also having um, more uh, adaption and, and, uh, and iteration to what you're doing. So, uh, yeah, having people on the same page was definitely a big challenge uh, for me as a leader. And was that kind of change management? Because, again, we go back, we, you know, for those that don't know, maybe they're listening in. Yeah. Maybe it might actually be quite good for people to understand what the hell we're talking about when we say Agile. Yeah. So maybe, Sahail, for those uh, lay people out there, I've heard Agile so much in my in my last 10 years of technology recruitment. I, Even though I wouldn't, I, I could explain it, but I don't know it. But do you just want to quickly explain to us what we mean when we say an Agile project? So uh, Agile is more of a philosophy than a framework. So it's a way of hmm. working. Right. Uh, traditionally, you would have a waterfall uh, development, which is the opposite of Agile. You would have your requirements. You take these requirements and you start building it and then you test it. And in the end, you have a product. Right. So uh, but in Agile, sure. what you have is an iterative way of building things. So uh, you rather instead of building uh, everything at one moment, you build it iteratively. Right. Uh, so uh, you're sure. right. Agile is the first step of any digital transformation project. And um, yeah, it's always a challenge to adapt people to the new processes. And it's also a challenge, especially as you mentioned, with resources that are like less flexible, uh, because adapting to change, yeah. change management is such a big thing in itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and do you how do you deal with that? You know, when you're, you know, when you're when you're looking at something you need to deliver, like you said, you're coming into a new industry, you're understanding where the gaps yeah. are. You know, and that's something we can kind of talk about. But how do you deal with those people that are maybe blockers or, you know, slowing the process down? Well, uh, the first step is uh, always defining the correct agile framework which fits your product or needs. Uh, it's it's about uh, defining how you would want your sprint cycles to look like, uh, how would you want your cross-functional teams to look like, uh, how would you want your uh, agile ceremonies or events or meetings, however you would want to call them, to look like. Mm. Because uh, I've I've had different experiences. So uh, in and in a typical agile setup, uh, the teams are supposed to be self-organized. Um, but there have been instances where some of the teams also felt like they've been micromanaged. Uh, as, yeah. You know, being a developer myself, uh, 
my kind of people yeah, love yeah. working in silos. We want to be left alone and working alone and delivering sure, yeah. <laughs> whatever comes out of it, right? Uh, but uh, Agile yeah. in a way kind of forces you to uh, also work in teams, work in a cross-functional way, share your responsibilities, uh, also, yeah, um, have, give enough transparency to uh, what you're doing at the moment. So and not, not a yeah, lot of people yeah. adapt to this flexibility initially, but it has proven results. It's always good to build your products in a modular way, bit by bit, so that you can identify your failures early on. So you build it kind of from, from success. Obviously, you're coming into a new project saying, we've done this before, yeah. this has worked well. I guess identifying leaders around you that can you know your supporters or cheerleaders yeah. as it were you know some you know some people will hate change some people are like yeah we've been asking for this change for ages right and i guess identifying those people is very important for you to kind of this is yeah. these are the these are the game yeah. changes yeah. As it were. uh identifying the right kind of skill sets for uh an agile way of working is quite critical uh yeah, as as a leader, uh, it's it's very important to have your entire team on the same page, working towards the same goal, having the same vision, and yeah. Uh, otherwise, it would be a big bottleneck. Uh, fortunately, throughout my career, I've been surrounded. Yeah. Everyone will be arguing. Yeah. Everyone will be arguing. You know, not collaborating, not arguing. Does that change the way you like interview yeah. people, Sahail? You know, obviously, I guess that, you know, we know within yeah. technical interviews, you know, let's say you're looking for Java or you're looking for, you know, Python, you've got certain yeah. technical questions, but would you interview people and say you've got certain questions that you use or scenarios to, to test the... Absolutely. Mentality? So for a resource to be a technical fit is definitely a plus point, but for a resource to be both a technical fit and a culture fit is what I always try to look out for. So uh, you can you can have someone who's extremely brilliant technically, but you can't expect this one resource to do everything. Uh, you always have to think from a perspective of a team and how multiple people come together to build something meaningful, right? So uh, for, for me, I always try to look out for uh, team players and uh, yeah, uh, and, and also so, uh, I always try to look out for people who can contribute a lot of value and at the same time also increase the value of people around them as well. Yeah. Right, so skills transfer, that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, so, so, you know, again, for our listeners, maybe people that work in a similar role to you, would you advise very much to not just focus in on the technology aspects and also like, look at the soft skills quite hard you know, really understand people's yeah, psychology. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, soft skills is critical. Um, so uh, I've had instances where I've had people who were brilliant uh, developers or uh, they were really, really good technically, mm. but they could never really communicate well. Uh, so this, mm. this had a lot of issues. On one hand, their work wasn't visible enough. And... On, on the other hand, yeah, uh, yeah uh, there was a gap in information in the entire process itself because they were bad communicators. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, important uh, that, yeah. yeah, 
you hire people with good soft skills uh, and also with the right attitude. And then I guess, you know, you also have to kind of review those first few months and weeks as well. When you talk about fail fast and technology, you have to you have to review that people can kind of come up to speed because obviously some people do well in interviews, some people don't do well in interviews. But, you know, you, you're expecting a certain type of people. I know from, 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 from experience, they don't always turn out, do you? The, what you what you get what you get in the interviews not that's, what you get that's on the first day that's really true um yeah i i we could do an entire episode <laughs> on speaking about bad hires <laughs> what happens to that person yeah, yeah no, exactly it's, it's, but it's, it's a tricky uh, one also but i'm i'm a firm believer in trying to uh train people and help people grow uh, for, for me, uh, the definition of success itself is uh, growing the value of your team. Uh, as a leader, you're their main enabler, right? So, and it's up to the leader to train them, uh, to yeah. help them see gaps within themselves that they wouldn't normally realize. And yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in improving people's skill sets, uh, whether it be soft skills or even technical skills. And if I look rightly kind of back on, you know, when you kind of, you obviously, like you said, you're one of those people that's kind of come up through the ranks. So you've, you've done it. And now you're in a director position where you're running multiple projects, multiple, you know, nationalities, global, you know, and obviously a lot of leaders that we spoke about, I'm a, I'm a recruitment consultant. I'm a recruitment CEO. So I have that, that background. I know I've been there in the trenches as it were, but, um, you know, do you, do you, one of the things I noticed when you become a leader, you have to almost divorce yourself from some part of what you used to do and maybe what you even used to enjoy, you know, you enjoy doing coding, you know, enjoying being part of the scrum as opposed to leading the scrum. Um, has that been a, a difficult transition through your career? You know, everyone, obviously everyone's got aspirations that they want to move forward, but sometimes people find that the job isn't quite as interesting as the one they started out doing or quite as fulfilling sometimes the leadership was um it was quite organic uh, how it came to me so you're right i really started from the bottom as a software developer and then grew on to roles where i had to lead a few people initially and then this just grew further on so this this helped me learn from not not just my own mistakes uh, but also from the mistakes of other leaders or other managers I had at one point. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. this this helped me learn yeah. what are the best practices uh, on how you manage teams, uh, uh, what's the bridge yeah. between doing operational work, uh, like coding on a daily basis, to uh, delivering a final product, to also strategizing future roadmaps. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it it definitely helps to start out from the bottom and grow organically as a leader as well. Do that apprenticeship as you kind of move forward. And, you know, the other thing we mentioned there was obviously these you know these large organisations that you work for. And we've talked about we talked about the kind of the agile process. We talked about working in different industries. One of the things I'm quite interested in because you've made a quick progress in your career. So obviously you've you've yeah. been successful as you've you've moved forward, but you know, what, what's your advice for people that are maybe taking on 
you know, not just new industries, but but new and larger teams. You know, you've I guess you've had to test yourself at some point to say, well, I was running a team yeah. of ten now, now I'm running a team of a hundred, yeah. now I'm running a team of a thousand. You know, what was, you know, how how do you go about it? How how would you advise those? You know, yeah. Suddenly, I'm running this big global team. What should people again do to make sure they're doing a good job and dealing with it? Been asked this quite a few times, especially because. At the moment, I work in an organization that has over 200,000 employees uh, in over 66 locations globally. Yes. Right. So it has a big multinational footprint with uh, really large teams. And I'm really fortunate to be managing these multinational teams. Uh, The number one best practice for me would be to understand uh, the work culture of that place. So uh, not not in a way that you would uh, stereotype uh, a certain region or uh, certain resources from a certain region. Uh, As my experience has always taught me that uh, every individual is unique irrespective of where they are from. Uh, But rather try to understand what kind of projects these teams or uh, individuals have worked on in the past and what kind of people they've worked with in the past, right? Um, so uh, I could give you sure. a nice example. I used to have a team from a location uh, which I do not want to name, <laughs> um, but uh, due to where this team was located, uh, yeah. they were treated mostly as an outsource wing of the company rather than as an internal team. Right. So uh, their mentality was mostly to work in silos and uh, they were treated more as vendors rather than colleagues. Right. Um, Yeah. So so their mentality was to mostly work in silos and to uh, also uh, be really cautious in their approach. So uh, the first thing I did was uh, try to change this mentality and make them feel that uh, they are part of one big team. And uh, I think COVID uh, definitely helped in bringing remote teams Mm -hmm. closer to you. Uh, Yeah, remote work, I think, has helped us empathize uh, also and um, help us make understand how these uh, remote resources could work and what issues they would face as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I thought it's finally um, it's definitely helped with the kind of you know it's one of the key pros, positive aspects of kind of running global teams like we do at GCS. We have our offshore delivery centres. It's helped us to integrate people into the team. Sometimes I think it's quite funny that you forget what time it is, don't you? You know, if you're dealing with India and you're like, oh, hi, good morning, and like, well, I'm nearly. <laughs> you just you know because obviously everyone's working like follow the sun and stuff you just just forget and i think i guess that's that's an empathy thing as well just to kind of understand that you know your four o'clock in the afternoon is your so how is your kind of five o'clock in the afternoon but in india and and also the mentality of people in different locations could be different so i've noticed that in some of the locations people yeah uh, live to work rather than work to live right so there could be instances where not your entire team is working with the same energy and dedication. But yeah, as, as a leader, you have to balance that out. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, it's just really kind of interesting when you when you start to take on those teams. And and the other, other question I had to have was, as you, as you grow, because you mentioned how you work in different products, different software teams, you know, and obviously, you know, 
I'm assuming you've got different projects going on with you know, maybe different outcomes, different software. So, so again, that's you know, to me, your your the story of your career, story of your leadership is 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 of ever increasing complexities, right? Is multiple strands. Um, again, you know, again, how how. And I think a lot of the, I'm asking you a lot of questions. How do you do this? How do you, you know? But uh, I think our listeners will be very, very interested in that. How how do you really deal with those different kind of complex projects? And what sort of kind of reporting tools do you use? You mean how are you kind of structuring your day so you know your? Yeah. Um, so one thing I always try to do is really uh, look for the fundamentals and the basics um, of what we want to achieve. So I, I think as, as long as you have your vision clear yeah. as, as your foundation, you can derive everything based on that. So you can derive how many resources you want. You can derive how, how do you plan your capacity in running the teams, how, how you can build your whole framework around a clear vision. So a clear vision from the stakeholders or from you yourself as uh, the business owner is quite critical. It, it always comes down to the vision. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, having having a clear vision also helps you in having clear expectation management along the way. It helps you in doing roadmaps. It helps you in. Yeah, it, it basically defines the business processes around it. And it helps you to communicate things. Right. You know, if you've got that clear yeah, vision, absolutely. then, then right. you it can then tell people what your clear vision well. is. And uh, another critical thing is to try to be more adaptive uh, to the kind of product or project you're on. Uh, so, for example, um, I had a project in my past, which was both software and hardware. Uh, it was a software hardware product, right? And um, okay. in ha hardware, it's very hard to yep. be agile uh, because, yeah. Yeah, the product's made, isn't it? Already, you're kind of you're you're tweaking it, aren't you? Physical, uh, basically. Yeah. So you rather try to build your uh, hardware more in a waterfall way, yeah. in the traditional way, and then uh, you try to keep your software agile. But both need to go hand in hand in order for you to have your product out in the market at a certain point. Right. So uh, there, you cannot use a traditional sure. agile framework. Yeah. Uh, you really need to adapt it based on how the hardware project stream is going. You need to yeah. uh, map uh, your timelines and your sprint cycles and um, ensure that they coincide with the hardware development as well. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we talked earlier about how, looking at the, the universality between projects and, you know, what, what you're going to do and the, the people. But... I guess the excitement part of it is being the sort of leader that you are is that every single project is different, is. right? That yeah. You, yeah. You, it, you can never, you, you can't, know, can't be bored. Especially can in agile projects. And uh, as I mentioned, you always have retrospective. So uh, in a retrospective, it's not just you as a product owner or a business owner who gets to know what were the issues that the team faced. Uh, yeah, but it, it also becomes transparent to everyone involved uh, that, there are certain issues that need to be dealt with that you wouldn't have foreseen or imagined yourself as well. As a word I was going to go back to that we spoke about at the start called gaps. 
you know, and um, that's quite kind of interesting in that, you know, um, just just firstly, w- w- when you say gaps, I and mean, obviously people know what the word means, right? But w- what do you mean when you look at a project and say, I want to f- find the gaps? Something that's less efficient, uh, a bottleneck in the process, I would say. Um, yeah, for, for example, if a certain team has has been offering less value over a period of time or they are really slow in their delivery, that's a gap, right? So having more efficient processes, having constant delivery, having quality delivery is uh, quite, yeah, quite critical, I would say. And that's that's where I define my gaps around, around the bottlenecks of what could be holding something on. So. An example of this would be um, I had a team once which was uh, which had quite a few senior resources. They were quite skilled uh, and they, they were really experts in what they do. But at the same time, they were quite slow, right? This, this was a, a testing team that I inherited once and uh, they would take a really long time to finish their test. So this would be a big bottleneck in the entire process. So we couldn't release our product until it's been tested and certified. Um, The gap there was that uh, they were so good with what they do that they were also super thorough with it. Uh, They would really look into smaller details and spend a lot of time on the smaller details and this slowed down the entire process. So we had to tweak uh, what what needs to be certified and tested uh, to improve their delivery as well. You strike me as someone who's quite calm, Sahail. I kind of, I feel like from speaking to you, kind of, I, I feel I feel like, you know, some of the things you talked about is how you kind of go in, manage change, manage maybe conflict, that sort of thing. But you, you strike. I mean, maybe I, I've only spoken to you for a, a couple of couple of times. But you strike me as someone that could put across the way you just said quite slow. I feel like you could put that across without winding people up too much. Yeah. You know, is that something you pride yourself in? You know, yeah. other people probably would like get people's back because of massive uh-huh. argument. But you, you strike me as quite a calm person. Well, you know? a lot of people have told me that. Um, I try not to panic. <laughs> and uh, I always try to find a middle yeah. ground. Um, but at the same time, as a leader, I'm, I also yeah. expect um, an output to be there at the right time. Right? You need to have this because you. every leader also has stakeholders they have to report to. It can be the CEOs, CTOs, and yeah. so on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there has to be a fine line <laughs> between um, being too aggressive yeah. or being too soft, I would say. And I guess that comes back as well again to you know, leading by example, you know, like you said, like, you know, you've got stuff you need to do, then you're doing that at the right times, et cetera, et cetera. That's, I always find that's kind of important for me to, 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 to act as if I, as I tell people to act. And um, I would say empathy uh, is a very important skill uh, for leaders to have. Uh, we tend to take it lightly at times. And uh, in order to be really empathetic towards my team, I always try to also be hands-on at the moment so I understand their pain. I always try to also dig deep into some of the bigger problems they might be having. Um, this, this also helps in expectation management between 
me as a leader and between my teams right uh, so i think a lot of leaders get this wrong and put a lot of pressure on their teams which leads to an unhealthy working environment or toxic working environment i've experienced it myself in the past so i always try to be as empathetic towards uh, my teams and try to really understand things from their perspective uh, and try to shield the team from the other stakeholders as well fantastic fantastic it sounds, you know, I always think there's quite a lot of the leaders, but it's kind of, it's like a sports team, isn't it? You know, you're kind of thinking about like a, a cricket team or or a soccer team. You know, you've got, you know, you've got to get them focused, got to get them working to the right things. You've got to keep them at the right standards. But in in the end, you've got to make sure that they're enjoying it and working together as a team. Don't you? Yeah. And, and this is why I also emphasized on someone being a culture fit uh, is quite important. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because it, it just takes one wrong hire to ruin the mood of the entire team, as I've experienced in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know you, it's, it's always about talking from experience and learning from experience. And, and like I said, failing fast. Because you, you can learn from experience, but like we know that you, know, you can always make the same mistake again, can't you? <laughs> like, oh, no, I've done that one. So excellent. Um, so for you, you know, in my kind of final question now, Sahail, you know, looking forward to the next kind of year uh, within your organisation and uh, for yourself personally, what, what are your key priorities for the, for the year ahead? You know, what are you, you looking to achieve? Um, so at, at the moment, uh, you know, the tech industry is not in its best position as, as it was maybe uh, a year ago or during the pre-COVID time. So my first priority yeah. this year is to really grow my team's value and uh, also grow my own individual value as well. So for growing my team's value, I of course need to hire the best and uh, surround myself with experts and hope we deliver a few successful products this year. And yeah, make sure that my teams over exceed the expectations. And to grow my own value, I, I need to keep learning. So uh, learning new skills, learning new technologies, and most importantly, as you said, learning from uh, new experiences or failures that might come my way this year. Good stuff. Well, I'm very certain there are lots of people listening to this have learned quite a lot from yourself. So, hell, I certainly have. You know, it's been a, a real pleasure to speak to you and a real pleasure to, to see someone's being so successful in within their career and delivering so many projects. So, so it's been fantastic to speak to you today. I, Thanks, I wish you well over the next kind of year and or two. And, um, I'm sure that it will be a, a, a continuing success. So thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, David. It was a pleasure.